Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the New Ground Life and Leadership Podcast. My name's Jez. It's great to have you with us for this, our 49th conversation and our first in season three. Yes, that's right. It's season three and we're getting close to that 50 mark of conversations released. We've got some fantastic guests lined up to appear on the podcast over the coming months, as well as some new ideas not to be missed. In two weeks time, we're going to be releasing our first of what we're calling Life and Leadership Shorts, where we're going to be engaging with practical leadership issues in churches with our friend Simon Elliott, who's appeared on the podcast before. I'm looking forward to bringing those to you. Those will be shorter, punchier episodes with solutions to just some of those everyday experiences that we go through as leaders in church or in the Christian life. Today, however, we are kicking off season three with a conversation that I had with a friend of mine and someone who's known to many of us across the New Frontiers family of churches, and that is the incredible man who is the voice, Mick Taylor. Originally, he trained as a Baptist minister. Mick has been in ministry for over three decades. He served as teaching pastor in King's Church London for many years, during which time he also oversaw the training and leadership development across New Frontiers, particularly in the UK, uh, before then moving to Bournemouth and then more recently moving to Exeter, where he's currently serving as one of the elders in Grace Church. Now, we're going to jump into the conversation sort of mid-flow, but the essential idea behind our time together had to do with something that Mick had been exploring for a few years. He told me that several years back he was reading Jeremiah. It was 18. Jeremiah eighteen eighteen? Come, let us make plans against Jeremiah, for the teaching of the law by the priest will not be lost, nor the counsel from the wise, nor the word from the prophets. And he says that when he read this, he was struck because... It talks about three things, you know, scripture and prophecy. You think, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then it was like the counsel of the wise. And that just triggered some thoughts in me. So... As I've reflected on it again and again and again. What he says is that he began to realise that there are essentially three modes of revelation by which God seems to speak to different people. And that actually our churches need to appreciate and recognise and celebrate and validate each of these different modes of revelation as being complementary rather than competitors with each other. What Mick goes on to suggest is that actually as Christians, each of us has a propensity towards, or at least a weakness away from, one of these three ways that God tends to speak in the world. There are word-based people, there are prophets, and there are what he calls wise people. And we're going to walk through this together as Mick unpacks for us what each of those modes of revelation looks like and how it feels to be someone who's a word-based or prophetic-based or wisdom-based person and how we can build churches and leadership teams that validate and, and celebrate all of the different gifts that God has given us so that we can hopefully build more compassionate and mature churches. Okay, Listen in on this. I think you'll so love what it. What I did is, um, I forget where I read it, I think. I was in a Bible dictionary talking about this sort of stuff and said, um, here's some typical characters from biblical characters. And for the sort of Bible teaching word based people, they pointed to Ezra. So he comes back from the exile and through him, they teach the word. And there's, there's a great occasion where um, they gather all the people in Jerusalem and then they proclaim um the word to them and people with him and he's like teaching to him go and explain it to people and um i think from that passage i 
drew out that in it was it it's logical it, it looks at the word it applies the word it knows this is important and I think word-based people, if that's where you're strongest, if that's the mode of revelation that you're, in a sense, most tuned into, where you tend to be Bible-focused, it fascinates you. You, you know, for me, it's, I'm, I'm passionate about learning more about how the Bible fits together and there's just more and more you can learn and how it all interconnects. And then once, as a teacher, once I've learned it, I've got to share it with someone. Um, so, you know, and... Word type people are very keen to be clear and communicate well, to be sensitive to it being biblically based. Um, so for me, if someone gets up on a Sunday morning and like misquotes a scripture and says, as it says in Jeremiah, and I know it's in Isaiah, there's something in me. I, I, I hopefully won't say anything to them, but it's like, no, 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 that's the wrong passage. Whereas for other people, it's just like, it doesn't matter. Whereas if someone gets up and sings out of tune, I might not even notice it because I'm not wired that way. Word-based people are really word-focused, very sensitive, very stimulated um, uh, by it. And that and it tends to mean that if you're on the teaching end of that sort of spectrum, you're content-rich. You, you've got loads of content and we tend to preach too long because we've learned so much and how can we... How can we leave people without this insight that we gained from our studies? Um, and I know it's true for me, so some of this might be projection, but I think for word-based people who are strongest there, what I call their window on heaven happens as they study scripture, that they feel often feel closest to God as they're wrestling with a passage to try and understand it. I know for me... The most precious moments is when I'm preparing something or studying something and it feels like heaven opens and there's, a, there's, there's, there's insights that come and moments of closeness um, that I can't quite put into words um, and it's like moments of revelation where it's not just the study, it's as though I'm getting a download from heaven itself. Mm. And um, when I've shared this um, with people... I often get nods from people going, yeah, oh, that's, I understand that, that's me. And I think if you're like this, you tend to think the key is understanding. If we can help people understand, then that's the critical thing. You know, we think about Romans 12, you know, do not be conformed to this world, but by transformed by the renewal of your mind. And it's like, well, in teaching, we want to renew people's thinking. That's the key. Um, yeah, and you've just des you described for yourself as well. People sometimes in the past walking past your office and seeing you lying face down on your desk, <laughs> surrounded by your books, and people could wonder: Is he asleep or has he had a heart attack? But, yes. Oh no, he's he's actually in the presence of God. <laughs> the, a moment of revelation is in, and insight has come, and and that's key because you know for word based people, it isn't the for, for those who aren't word based people, we should say. The idea of reading the Bible, studying books can feel dry, dull and hard. But for those for whom it's a delight and a joy, it's actually like honey. Like the word of yeah. God, the word of God is honey, sweet to sweet to the to the taste. And it's an insight into God because you're right. Your mind is open to truth. You understand God's 
wisdom and magnificence all the more as you study the Bible. That is often then counterbalanced by an, another form of revelation uh, who you use John the Baptist as a biblical character to, to open up for us. Talk to us about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think John the Baptist is is a good example of this. I think this mode, and it, and obviously some of this is going to be exaggerated to make the point. Um, but one of the biggest difference between the prof- people who are prophetically wired to people who are like word wired um, is the way they use the Bible itself. Um, so. I, if you're a Bible teacher, especially, and you hear people give prophetic words, sometimes you think, wait a minute, that passage didn't mean that. Um, and yet it sounds like God is speaking through it. And I think we all have moments like that when God speaks to us like that. Mm. Um, but the prophetic, I think that's an emphasis of theirs. And and I always think about John the Baptist, partly because there's other characteristics of him, um, like like he's very dramatic, you know, he has a funny diet and dress sense and he's out in the wilderness. You know, he's not in a synagogue. It's all a bit dramatic. And many of the prophets of the Old Testament were like that. They used dramatic action. Um, they were powerful communicators with symbol as well as with words. But with John the Baptist, he picks up um, the Isaiah passage about a voice crying in the wilderness. And in Isaiah... It's a voice crying in the wilderness, in the desert, prepare a way, because God is coming back to Jerusalem. So it's like, there's a voice in the wilderness. Uh, No, there's a voice and it's saying, prepare a road in the wilderness. When John the Baptist at one stage is asked, who are you? What are you doing? He's like, oh, he takes that verse and applies it to himself, but he applies it slightly differently. He says, I'm the voice in the wilderness, preparing a way. And it's like almost like he put the comma in a different place. And exegetically, that's not... Isaiah's not saying there's going to be a prophet in the wilderness. He's saying you've got to prepare a highway because you're going to come across the wilderness from Babylon back to Jerusalem. Although it's not exegetically correct, but it is prophetically correct. So I think where I get to on that in part is this. When you're judging a prophetic word that uses scripture, exegesis is not the only test. The, the real question is, is it biblical? Because the prophet sometimes is seeing more in the scripture than even the original writers knew. Sometimes they're using it as an image, um, which is which is perfectly valid. But they're not saying, this is what Hosea meant when he said this, or this is what Isaiah meant. He's saying, God's shedding new light on this and using it to say something different. And you can't just dismiss it because, well, I've looked at all the commentaries and it doesn't say that. Yeah, so I think one one in judging prophecy is, is it biblical, not is it exegetical? Um, And then there's, you know, other things about the prophetic that John does, this dramatic thing, his lifestyle is dramatic, the way he preaches is dramatic. Um, It's always action-orientated. I think prophets are like driving for decision. And um, I compare myself, when I was at Bracknell, I was with uh, Ben Davis, who led the church, and I was, the teaching pastor there and he was a very prophetic preacher so lots of exhortation um and very powerful <laughs> exhortation and he's always driving to you know today you've either you know give your money be baptized come to christ or whatever it was he always had a very clear thing that he drove to and uh 
for me, sometimes I thought, in terms of homiletics, this is not great structure. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure where you're going in terms of how you're putting all this together. But there was no mistaking, one, his passion, and that you knew what he felt was the right response to this truth and would drive it home um, with great power. Um, and I think for me, one of the weaknesses in, in me, and I think sometimes we're teaching types, is like we, we've explained the text, we've, you know, we've applied it a bit, but it's like go away and think about it. Mm. Um, because we think if you think about it, then it will percolate down through your life. Whereas the prophetic person is, no, no, this is the day of salvation. At this moment, you need to decide, is it yes or no? You know, will you choose life or death? Choose life. Yeah, which I think is really powerful. But in our churches, we often talk about word and spirit. And these type modes of revelation can often be characterized as one being word, one being spirit. Of course, mm. the Bible teacher in the room would say, no, no, prophecy, prophecy isn't spirit. Word is also spirit. So let's not separate the two. Um, they work together. But those we're quite familiar with this idea is what I'm saying, that God speaks through the Bible and God speaks prophetically. Um, but I, I found what I found really helpful about what you brought as well, however, isn't just stopping there but recognizing as you did from jeremiah that there's a third mode of revelation by which god speaks that we see in the in the book of proverbs um and that is the the mode of wisdom talk to us about that well can i just i've nearly forgot something about the prophets i talked about windows of revelation or um for the the prophetic people if you um prayer is absolutely key now we all need to read the bible we all need to pray but whereas like my most intimate moments often come in the study, uh, as I prayerfully study, for the, the prophetic types, it's much more important, I think, to them that you're in, they're in prayer, that they have moments and, and spend, you know, if you give them a chance, they're not going to go to their books, they're going to go into prayer because that's where God speaks to them most clearly. And that is clear throughout the Old Testament, the link between the prophets and prayer is absolutely uh, crucial. And I know, in, well, again, when I was at Bracknell, there was one of the elders there called Ken Bothamley who um, had a strange mixture of gifts because he was a very administrative, he had great organisational skills, but very prophetic. And so in a meeting, he would sometimes lean over to me and said, would say, uh, we, need a, we need a tongue now. And I'm thinking, how do you know that? But he can feel what God's doing. And sometimes you'd even go to someone and say, I think you've got a contribution, haven't you? And they'd go, oh, yeah. He said, well, do it now. He could, now he could do that and unlock a meeting, but only if we didn't clutter him up with too much admin. He needed time to go for a walk by the river to be with God in that way. And then that opened the prophetic for him. So it's where I, I need time in the study. He needed time... Um, praying yeah, anyway yeah. you get you get the two modes in you when someone shares something in their life one person would say you need to read the bible another person would say you need to pray about it <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's it and it's like um my wife often criticizes me with this because bless her whenever we have a conversation i always say you need to you need to read the bible she's like there are more than one solution to every problem <laughs> <laughs> but i was I, I was um at a uh, a training event with steve tibbet just recently and uh, he put it like this. He said, um, uh, we tend to approach problems through the lens of our gift. 
so if you're a teacher, you think the answer is always more teaching. And if you've got a strong leadership gift, you always think, oh, it's a leadership issue. Um, put more simply, if you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. <laughs> and that's why you need people with different gifts and different perspectives because you need all those insights really yeah, um, yeah. okay well let's come on to talk about the third mode of revelation and then it's window into heaven before then critiquing some of the vulnerabilities of each of those and that is first the third of all the um the mode of wisdom yeah well the the thing about wisdom and it's interesting i mentioned right on uh, early on about Jeremiah 18 and 18, giving prophecy, wisdom and uh, like teaching or the Bible. Um, if anyone's li- watching this or listening to this and thinking, yeah, but where else can you find that? I tripped over another verse. Matthew 23, 34 puts those three together and it's Jesus. So if you check out Matthew 23, 34, it says, I am sending you prophets, wise men and teachers. I thought, oh, that's, wow. that's wow. really interesting. So let's talk about wisdom. As you say, I think sometimes we um, can be a bit dismissive for, of people who are strongly um, orientated in this area. So, you know, we teachers think, well, they don't know their Bible as well as I do. And the prophets think they're not as you know prophetic and maybe prayerful as I am. Um but in, in the scripture, you find that wisdom is absolutely critical. And there's this character um, who was in David's court, um, called, and I'm going to say this wrong, Ithophel, I think his name is. If you want to check it, check it. It's 2 Samuel 16, 23. Ithophel. He was one of the wise men in David's court. And the, the writer in Samuel says, Now in those days, the advice of Ithophel gave was like that of one who inquires of God or as the message translated the counsel of this guy in those days was treated as if God himself had spoken so it's like as valuable as prophecy that's what that 2 Samuel 16 is 23 is saying that the advice of advice of this counselor this wise man was as good as prophecy and I don't think we always um, value it um, as highly as that in our circle. And who's the Bible character that uh, most typifies this? Well, I, I think everyone would know the answer to this. Who's the wisest man in the Bible? Well, besides Jesus, of course, you're going to say Solomon. And um, certainly um, for a lot of his life, he was the wisest um man and that's how he's described he prays for wisdom god gives it to him in abundant uh, measure and when you read about it there's a passage 1 kings 4 29 onwards describes what wisdom is and it's it includes all sorts of things it's like what we would say was science biology and uh, yeah plants and animals it's knowledge of all those things as well as you know, the famous example of, you know, what do you do with people arguing over the same baby and saying it's theirs? Um, and Solomon gives his famous word of wisdom. So one of the things about wisdom is its breadth. It covers all these areas of life. And it was amazingly accessible. People came, the kings, it says the nations, the kings of the nations came to Solomon 
because they heard of his great wisdom. They didn't come because they had heard of the prophets and they didn't come because they had the Torah. They came because Solomon had great wisdom. That's why the Queen of Sheba came, because they, she had heard of his great wisdom. And uh, I think wisdom is all that like practical stuff. In the last, I think, 20 odd years, we have learned so much about leadership and most of that, um, you could find parallel teaching, and some of it's derived from uh, what, like business and the military, have learned about just how things work. And it's not wrong to apply that in the church. Um, I, you you have to do that with um, care, but one of the things about uh, wisdom is God is saying that all truth is God's truth. So where if you find anything that's true then that's, that's God giving it to us. It's a gift from us. And other people who are, who are wise in the world have things to teach us. Uh, and that's okay. And I think sometimes you could be too narrow thinking it's all about the Bible or it's all about prophecy. Um, and they are vitally important. But also there are things we can learn uh, from people outside the kingdom and we can bring those treasures in a bit like despoiling the Egyptians, it's like we can take their riches and bring them in and use them in uh, in the kingdom. And I think lots of things like how to parent well, um, marriage courses, lots of the things we teach there will be biblical, but some of them are just like we would say common sense. Um, and often people can be attracted by the wisdom before they really learn about the wise one. That would be my. Um, theory so wisdom is has a breadth to it it's accessible and it's not very theologically at least explicitly it's um you read proverbs there's there's it's not quoting scripture at any time it's not saying thus says the lord it's just saying i went out and i looked at an ant and this is what it taught me <laughs> be like the ant and don't be like the sloth it's taking things that you can observe and and applying the lessons from that. But it might not be explicitly theologically, theological, but it is implicitly. Behind all that is the idea that God created this world and he created it with wisdom. That's what, um, um, well, both Job says, the Proverbs say, God created this world wisely. And if we can find how it works when it's working well, we're finding out the very pattern, the very grain of creation that God put in there. And you can take those lessons and bring them um, into the church. So all truth is God's truth. And as, as I said earlier, before we started talking, just yesterday I was thinking about that passage in Philippians where it says in chapter four, you know, whatever is lovely, whatever is beautiful, whatever, you know, whatever is good, think about these things. And it's not just those things that are in the Bible. Those things in the world are God's gift to us. And you got, we should rejoice in them. That's what wisdom does. Wherever there's good, wherever there's beauty, we rejoice in it. And we also um, learn, learn from it. So wisdom has breadth and, and it's accessible. Its theology is implicit. And <laughs> the Bible teacher, people strong in the world say you should read the Bible more. I think wise people say, you guys should just get out more. You should just get out, look at the world, 
be real, be with people because wisdom comes by observation and it comes by listening. So, you know, in, in Proverbs, it's like, listen, my son. You know, people have got wisdom, listen, take, take it on board. Um, I think sometimes the verse in James, which says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask. We think, oh, we just have to pray and we're going to have wisdom instantly. But that's to take that verse out of the whole con context of Scripture. When you look at Proverbs and you think, well, how do you get wisdom? Well, you get wisdom by lis listening to other people, especially people further on than you, um, in a great respect for people uh, for age. That's why I like my grey hair. But it's like people with experience, listen to them. They've got things for you um, to take on, take on board. Um, yeah, so the window for wise people is the world and discussion. It's people, it's out there. And the strange thing is, whereas both Bible teachers can say, this is the correct interpretation, and the prophetic says, this is what God wants you to do, often the, why the wisdom comes across as, well, maybe, maybe not. So there's a famous thing in Proverbs, back-to-back -back verses, you know, don't answer a fool according to his folly. The very next verse says, the opposite. Answer a fool according to his folly. You think, is that a contradiction? No, it's just saying that there are times when you meet a foolish person saying something foolish, sometimes it's going to be right to keep your mouth shut and sometimes it's going to be right to speak. And like giving you those options forces you to think and rely on God to think, well, what's the wise thing to do here? And of course, Jesus does things like that. So he says on one occasion... Those that are not for me are against me. And on another occasion, he said the exact opposite. <laughs> Those who are not against me are for me. And you think, well, because both might be true in different situations. And there's lots of things that, that are wise that sometimes we try to make the rule. So the way we structure our leadership team, you know, how do your elders function with other leaders in the church? You can make it, that's the pattern, the way I do it. But there might be some very other valid patterns within the broad biblical principles. Um, and, yeah, and, and wise people think, are not always jumping on, it, on other people's ways of doing things just because they're different. Because maybe, maybe not. Things can vary with circumstances and the situation. That's perhaps why um, wisdom is often associated with age, because it does take a, a, level, a degree of experience to be able to see lots of different methods and modes and see virtue in all of them. You know, you can either get cynical with old age and think, oh, I've seen it all before, or you can get wise and think, well, I've seen a lot before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't do that. I've done that. It didn't work. Uh, yeah. But yeah. And I, th I find this this third mode of revelation is, that is probably, as you said, the one that almost needs to be... Re restated by the church reclaimed by the church as being a legitimate mode of inquiry and understanding because there are things and we you know we're going to come on to talk about the vulnerabilities there are things wisdom has its limits and it is vulnerable to things you cannot guess the gospel necessarily through wisdom alone although men like c.s lewis would say you can get very close just yeah, through yeah. just through wisdom looking at god's work in the world but there are you know we understand that to know about god since he's outside our system he had to reveal himself into the system he had to write himself into the story 
But nevertheless, the story itself contains a lot that is enchanted in the first place yeah. that we can look to. And I think sometimes there's an em there's an overemphasis on external revelation, the consultant God who comes into my situation versus the God who's already in the midst of us anyway at work in the world. I guess, you know, it's funny, the Philippians 4 passages you quoted that, I believe I read in a commentary that the Apostle Paul is actually quoting a, f a form of phrasing that's from Greek philosophy anyway. So he's he's modelling the wise man, and as he does in Act 17 where he goes to Athens and he quotes their prophets, their, their poets. He's modelling wisdom because it, it takes the good and the true that's outside and legitimates it and reclaims it for God. Yeah, yeah. And I think one of the things about wisdom is often it's not, uh, seen like in a worship meeting it might be seen in the planning of it but you know what I mean it's often in moments of decision or in counselling so it's not as public often and also once someone um, once wisdom's been expressed it always seems obvious I think oh, more often you're like oh yeah and then you forget it because it was like oh yes and you forget that you can be in. I've been in leaders' meetings, and you're you're wrestling through a, a situation, and then maybe the person who's been quietest uh, suddenly comes in. And I said, "I've been thinking. I wonder if." And everyone goes, "Oh, that's the way through," and then you go on to the decision. And you forget that this person was the people person who, you know, regularly will unlock situations because you're on to the next thing, and you forget that. Um, so I think there's a bit where it's. Um, understandably that it's underplayed because it's not very dramatic often. Um, once when I gave this seminar, at the end of the meeting, people were talking to me about it, you know, you know um, as they do sometimes at the end of the meeting. And right at the end, when I, a, a, a friend of mine, the wife, came to me and said, I, I am glad you're still here. I, I just wanted to tell you, I had to go and find my husband and apologise to him. Because I always thought he was a bit unspiritual. But I realised he's a very wise man. And, you know, he, you know, I might be more prophetic than him, but he's a very wise man and that's equally valid. And I thought, yes, yes. <laughs> that's, that's what you, that's you want. You want all God's people, however they've been, whatever modes of revelation God speaks to them most in, to feel affirmed and for us to be open to all of these dimensions. So if you look at different denominations, I reckon, or streams, conservative evangelicals, I think, are strong in the word and strong in wisdom. But the prophetic is pretty weak. I know <laughs> other streams that are really into you know, the prophetic and the word, but you go, oh, that's not very wise. And they, they come a cropper, not because they didn't have enough prophecy or enough scripture, it was just like they were just plain foolish um and um we can all decide where we are on the spectrum um and then of course the the there are d whole denominations that overemphasize wisdom to the point that they lose the gospel and they become absolutely yes they're weak in the word and so again there's a lot of practical helpful wisdoms that we can learn from liberal churches but not the gospel. We'll, we'll learn, we'll learn <laughs> no, something, but, but not some not oh. other things. There is how much do you think this reveals as well? Uh, a kind of ingrained spiritual, sac sacred, secular divide. Like there is a within each of us. And where does that come from? Why? Why are we? Why do we find it hard to realize that God is just as much 
in the ant as he is in the word of God, as he, as he is in the Bible. What, what's going on there? Where's that come from? <laughs> like, just a need to um, correct your pantheism there. God's in the ant. Exactly what do you mean? <laughs> there we go. Which one are you strong in? His hey? fingerprints are over there. Yes, that. thank you. All right, fine. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 um... <laughs> I love that. You've called me out on heresy and we're only a few minutes in. This is good. Yeah, Keep going. Yeah. Well, you know, I know you well, you know, <laughs> you're enthusiast. Yeah, but I, uh, well, I, I, it's, it's, it's playful, but actually that's an important point because I increasingly hear people say pantheistic sounding things that God is in this and God is that. The God, God is the trees, God is the, the leaf. And there's a distinction that we have yeah. as Christians that say, no, no, he, he's revealed in part in this, but he's not in that in the sense that he, yeah, that it is God. So I appreciate the correction. That's <laughs> helpful for us to all learn from. Um, come on, then, pick, pick me up. Where does, um, where does that come from, that spiritual, sacred, secular divide? And how do we get rid of it? Oh. I'm not sure about the root of it, except uh, except part of the spiritual battle is to do that. We are very rational. In the West, we're very rational. And that's why we've dom- we've lent into that so much that we've almost not wanted yeah. the other other side of things. And I think the binary language of the scripture, um, sometimes we've misheard that. You know, there is light and darkness. So, you know, what can what can we ever get from the darkness from these people? And... You, if if you're only reading one stream of scripture and read it through that lens, then you're not going to listen to it yeah. that, yeah. Um, and you're not going to be open. It is just going to be like what the Bible says or yeah. what you get prophetically. Um, but I'm sure that you know cultural analysts will have a much better answer of what the root of that was. But it is un unhelpful. Yeah, well, I think you've put your finger on it perfectly well there, Michael. Don't <laughs> don't do yourself down. All right, so let's come to talk about, as you've started touching on already, some of the, the vulnerabilities, perhaps, of each of these different modes of revelation and ways that we need one another. Oh, yeah, yeah. So let's start with, with, with where I think I'm strongest. Um, Word-type people. Um, and I, now I'll say something that sounds like heresy. <laughs> My turn to call you out. Yeah. I would say the Bible is limited. The Bible is limited. Um, and, and, and what I mean in this is most of the decisions in our life, you cannot take to a Bible verse directly. Um, so, you know, Paul says, love your wife as Christ loved the church. But what does that mean? You know, like, like this morning when Val and I realised that we both want the car at the same time and we can't, the timing doesn't work. What does love mean in that situation? Well, you know, I go and hire a car. That's what it means for me. But the Bible doesn't tell me that. It's like I have to think about that. Um, and I think about Adam and Eve in the garden. This is what, what did God, God tell them? He told them, be fruitful and multiply, look after the garden, you know, he gave us like the creation mandate type stuff, but he didn't tell tell them what food to eat. You, you cook that one, this one you can eat raw. That's not there. They had to learn. That's wisdom. They had to experiment. They had to find out and throw that one away and boil that one. And oh, that's you know, you work it out. So I think scriptures like that it gives you lots of direction. You know how are we supposed to live our life we, according to truth and love and you know these principles. And it gives us boundaries. Don't eat of that tree. 
Um, and in lots of areas, it's like that. What you know, you know, where is how should love, physical love, being expressed? It should be, you know, there's boundaries to that, and God's given us the boundaries. But he hasn't told us every detail about sexual ethics. We have to try and work that out from, from biblical principles, but not all the details. Um, and you can see in even in churches today, people get caught in a time warp. Uh, you know, the Amish in the States are probably the most obvious example, whereas they can't find zips in the Bible, and so they don't have any zips in their clothes. And you think, wait a minute, I don't think the Bible was trying to tell us those details. Um, so there are limits to the Bible. It gives us principles and it gives us boundaries and it gives us a direction. But in lots of areas of life, it doesn't. Um, and we have to be careful when it's like only scripture. We have to be careful by what we mean by that. Only scripture is our highest authority, not the only thing we listen to. Um and I think Bible teachers can be um, quietly arrogant <laughs> because we mix up an infallible word with our interpretation. The Bible's infallible. Our interpretation isn't. And sometimes it's like, oh, no, 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 they've got that wrong. Well, it, we might have got that wrong. And we have to be um, careful to make the distinction between the word and our interpretation. And, of course, understanding is not everything. You know, some of the best... Well, I was going to say best taught people. You can find churches that are very rich in biblical teaching and theology, and yet their lives don't do that. So some churches I have experienced that would teach this, like the doctrines of grace magnificently, but they're not very gracious. And you think, well, they, just because you know it doesn't mean you live it. And... Sometimes the emphasis of the pe word people you've got to understand is, is limited because it's not just understanding. That's important, vital, but there's another dimension um, that needs, needs to go. And, and it can be left a bit conceptual rather than applied. So I think for me, there's like key vulnerabilities that you have to, people like me have to be aware of and be open to people on, you know, with other strengths. Mm, that's really helpful and as someone who is strong in the word really helpful to hear that from someone like yourself to acknowledge the limitations of um a bible only perspective and actually just as you you know you're sharing there about a practical example in marriage that's probably one of the the hardest areas uh, of biblical application today is the relationship between the sexes as culture changes and the word of god stays the same our application of biblical timeless truths needs to change but the bible won't tell us what exactly that looks like we have to do that ourselves within our different church structures and families and cultures and what might be right in the in the progressive west would be wrong in the conservative east for say i think that i mean that's i mean that's really good and what, what you can get wrong for you know the bible teachers is it was you know what was what was a good in application in victorian england might not be a very good application now and yet you can think well, all the people I read, you know, have said this. This is, you know, they were in that culture and I, without criticising them necessarily, it's like their application will not necessarily work here, but we can be locked into 
their interpretation and application in a very different context. And you find it in the in in the Bible, it, it, you know, application changes. Paul can say to the Galatians, "Don't get circumcised. You you get circumcised, you're falling away from grace." And then either before that letter was written or after that letter was written, he circumcises Timothy. He said, "Well, Paul, you're you know, have you changed your mind? Are you contradicting? No, no. The application was context specific." Um. And he doesn't give us all the reasons. We, you know, God gives us, gives us brains and gives us His Spirit to wrestle with that. Mm. And of course, sometimes in Scripture that is wisdom, as in the case of Timothy and Paul's decision there. Sometimes it's as a result of prophecy, as in the case of don't go preach the gospel in that town. Don't do yeah. this. Do do that. It's a response to the prophetic now word of God. So let's then let's come on to talk then about pro- prophets and prophecy, some of their strengths and vulnerabilities. Well, I think I think. That, you can get confused between having an insight and knowing the application. So my my first sort of dawning understanding of that was in the the Baptist church where I I, I came to Christ and be, later became student minister assistant minister when I was studying at Spurgeon's. We had a young person who, although we didn't really talk about prophecy or words of knowledge, was very insightful by the Spirit. And uh, after one Sunday, I was talking to the the senior pastor, and he said, "Mick, you can need to have a." word with this young person and I said why he said well last Sunday he went up to Mrs so-and-so and she was one of the older ladies in the church and told her that she was uh, miserable and bitter and God told, was wanting her to change <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh so I sat down with this this young person and I said um I hear you talk to so-and-so and they said yeah 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 he said I had a word from the Lord and I said, oh, well, what was that? And he said, well, she's bitter and miserable and God wants that to change. And I said, um, and did God give you those exact words? And did he say you should say those words to her like that? And he got very quiet and said, no. I said, could it have been that God wanted you to pray for her and like befriend her and maybe find out what's happened in her life and maybe go around and have a cup of tea with her um, rather than giving it because I don't think that's helped very much. And uh, and then I gave him a phrase that someone had given me, you know, please engage brain before opening mouth. Um, <laughs> and, and I think, you know, sometimes... With the prophetic, you get an insight, but you don't know necessarily. You don't have to give it on a Sunday morning just because it came to you, necessarily, because it might just be for you, and it might just be for prayer. Um, but it might be that you should give it to someone. But that's not automatic. The insight doesn't mean you know the app, the uh, the application. Um, and uh, this is a tendency. So if you're prophetically inclined, you need to remember I'm a Bible teacher saying this, but. I think sometimes the prophetic can get confused about what is really spiritual. I think that's a really important question through the New Testament. What do you count as spiritual? Is speaking in tongues more spiritual than anything else? That's a Corinthian problem. Um, And there is a tendency, I think, to think that the intuitive, the novel and the spontaneous is somehow always more spiritual than the planned the organized and the rational um so (laughs) 
again, from past experience, when there was a thing called the Toronto Blessing, we had evening meetings, which were just like, sometimes we just never preach. We just worship and prophecy and praying for people. And uh, people would come to me and say, this is great, having meetings that are, evening meetings that are completely open to the spirit. And I said, yeah, that, it, it is great. Um, and, uh, you know, one Sunday evening, we might just have like one song and then an hour and a half of preaching. And they went, no, 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 no. We want to be really open to the spirit. And I said, you, so you don't think being really open to the spirit, the spirit might want that. I mean, Paul did preach all through the night, but it was like, no, a planned sermon is obviously less spiritual than this very spontaneous thing that's happening. And it's not necessarily so. Both can be spiritual. Both can be unspiritual, can be fleshly. And it's not just one trumps the other. Um, so so I think that's another thing to watch. And there is the possible uh, tendency, or can be, when God's given you an insight, to get a bit judgmental when people don't necessarily get you know, you get this powerful insight and then people might not might not go with it. They might not might think it's more you than it is God or they might not apply it in the way you want. Um, and there's this great quote from Bonhoeffer in Life Together. And I'll paraphrase it where he talks about people who have a great vision for the church. And then start judging everything by this vision. And of course, when you have a like a biblical vision of what the church could be and should be, we all fall short. And at that point, uh, people can get like critical of the church in a really negative way. And Bonhoeffer goes on to say, when your vision of the church so overcomes your love for the actual church, then you can, in the end, become an accuser of the brethren, um, which I think is a very powerful statement it, it, <laughs> i had to put the book down and think about that yeah yeah there's a difference between loving community and loving the idea of community i think you quoted didn't you it's a great a great insight uh, my my final thing about the prophetic is i i think prophetic people tend to be very well they're very sensitive to the spirit but also they they can be very sensitive to mood um you know things that are happening they sense it as well as just think it they sense it and Sometimes that means they can be overwhelmed by all that their their antennae are picking up about where the church is at and what people are feeling. And uh, I think you have to guard the prophetic people so that sometimes I've, this might not be true of all of them, but some of them are very, get to a place where they're quite vulnerable um, because they're so sensitive to what's happening in a place or in people. So yeah, that's that's helpful kind of critique of the the teacher types, the prophetic types. Um, let's let's come on to talk about some of the strengths and vulnerabilities of the king types, the wise types, the wise kings. Well, I think the wise are always looking for patterns. You look for patterns in creation, the way people behave, and you're deducing from that when it when you see them working well, you think, oh, that's a God given pattern there that we take and apply, um, and the regular and the normal is often the way God works, but he also intervenes. He does dramatic things. So the right thing is not always the reasonable thing. There are ways of fighting battles, and a wise person could tell you how to do that. 
But just on the basis of wisdom, you're not going to march round for seven days, the walls of Jericho, and then blow your trumpets and shout. That's not what's going to happen. If you're standing before, you know, a river or a sea, um, you don't just lift up your staff and expect the waters to divide. That that doesn't come out of wisdom. That comes out of the prophetic. Um, mm. And wise people can so stress what normally happens that they are not ready for God to do the extraordinary. Um, and that's why that can be a weakness. Um, and the wise, wise people tend to be very reasonable. And whereas the prophet might be going, you've got to change today, the wise person might be, there's some steps along the way and we need to do this gradually and help people. But if you're not, if that's all you do, you might not call people to repentance and you might be into behaviour modification rather than radical change through repentance. And you have to be careful for that. There's a balance between those two things. But, yeah, the wise can be overly reasonable and always gradual when often, well, yeah, at times God works dramatically and it's not gradual. There are moments when you cross the Red Sea. Um, there are moments when you walk on water and, and wisdom won't get you there. And of course, because you, this thing about wisdom being maybe, maybe not, it can be indecisive because you're going, well, we could do this and we could do that. You can get stuck at that point. So which one? I'm not sure. Um, and you're thinking about all the different things you could do rather than some things you just need to do. You need to get on with something. And God can correct your path as you take steps. But the wise can be standing at the brink of Jordan too long um, and not stepping out um, and, and not taking the step of faith. Um, and the other, the saddest thing, and it's typified in Solomon, is that you override biblical boundaries. So I've said scripture gives us boundaries. The idea of kingship was around, you know, in the cultures. Deuteronomy 17 talks about the rules for kingship. And it says, when you go into the land and you see the nations, they've got kings and you want a king. It, God doesn't say you can't have a king at that point in Deuteronomy. He says, this is the sort of king you should have. And it's very different. So he, in a sense, he mustn't lord it over you. He mustn't build up great strength. He mustn't have foreign wives. You know, all of these things. That's what other kings do, but not kings in Israel, not kings under the covenant. And that's exactly what Solomon forgets. Because it was a wise thing. You marry princesses from another nation, they're less likely um, to go to war with you. So that's that's what Solomon does. He has you know, is it six hundred wives and three hundred porcupines or concubines. Um you know, that was a reasonable thing to do in that culture. But it was not a god thing to do. And he got, you know, he built palaces and had many horses and accumulated wealth and power to himself. And God said, don't do that. And the wise can overrule those boundaries. And I think just looking back on some of the high profile leaders that have crashed um, and fallen into immorality, some of them were known for their leadership wisdom mm. and their intellectual ability and yet they overrode clear scriptural principles. And just like Solomon, 
you know, have brought, well, <laughs> brought trouble on, on, on God's people, really. Mm. Um, so the wise people, just because it seems reasonable doesn't mean it's right. Um, and just because other people are doing it doesn't mean it's right. And what you've got to be careful of, it doesn't doesn't go against the prophetic word and it doesn't go against scriptural principles. It's really, really helpful, Mick. And I'm sure everyone listening is, you know, probably throughout this been asking the question, which one am I? Which one am I? Or, And there can be a danger to which we're, we're trying to put ourselves in boxes. And so, uh, you know, you gave us that caveat at the beginning that we, we all are wired like this to some degree. And that's helpful. So often, but often we can know which is either our strongest suit of those three or which is our weakest of those three. And that can just help us discern in self-knowledge. Um, it strikes me, you know, just hear, hearing you lay out this presentation, talk about the vulnerabilities, just how essential and necessary it is for the church to honour all three modes of revelation in order for the church to become mature. Um, how do we do that then? What are some things that you've seen or some just tips that you'd give on how to build a church leadership culture and church culture where all three are honoured and treated as valuable, but neither is put above the other necessarily. Well, of course, you know, as I'm a word person, I've just given you the ideas. I, I leave the application to everybody <laughs> yeah. else. I, I think uh, just um, affirming that we are different in these ways, helping people to recognise where they're mm. strong. Um, so when I, the first time I ever gave this sort of seminar was up in Newcastle. Um, at a church weekend, and I had little uh, post-it notes, you know, the little tiny ones, and I had three colours, and I said, like, this colour is prophecy, this colour is the word, this one's wisdom, and uh, everyone had a pile of those, and they just, I said, now in the break, you go round and you don't say anything to people, but if you felt you've gained through their wisdom or through their prophetic gift or through their word, just go and put a sticky on them. And then people went round and you had people covered with these things. But it was pretty clear that, you know, where people's strengths were because they you know, other people can recognise them. Um, so giving people an opportunity to be aware of these three modes, affirming them yourselves and affirming them in others is helpful. I think if you're listening to this, you know, you know when... When I've said things that are part, like your strongest mode, you're going, yes, that's me. You know, to some extent, you're going, I recognise that. And other things you're going, uh, that doesn't quite work for me. So, first of all, I think there's a recognition affirmation thing. Then I think both in decisions and in teams, you can ask the question. You know, what are we? Where is there a gap here? How can we get wisdom into this situation if it's not in the room? Who who would have that or how could we we gain that? Um I haven't got a magic wand. I think because un understanding is the key. So I think understanding is really important and then showing appreciation and then just keeping working at it. And I think, you know, part of the appreciating it in others, each of the types can have a, a, a tendency towards a form of pride that, that looks down on the others. You know, I, I know there I, I've sat around people who are of the more prophetic tendency type 
and I've often felt bad like oh I just don't see it in that way and now I feel bad that I don't see it in that way because I'm clearly less spiritual than you because I don't see it in that way but equally I've also sat around people who are just very practical got a lot of wisdom and I go yeah well, that, that's helpful but I don't really sense God in that like there's, there's, I don't really know where you've got that from it's very helpful yes but is it and I can look down on them and be like oh, I'm not sure you're Christian enough Whereas actually to, to, to hear this pause and realise, <laughs> no, this is what a mature bride is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a, a, diver, a unity in diversity, an interdependency, an honouring and valuing of one another, recognising the limitations of our own perspectives. Really, really helpful and really, really valuable. So, so just kind of, so just saying, oh, I think understanding is key. I think there is a large part to which we create empathetic communities of interdependency by at least naming the beasts, describing the beasts and the problems that we have and helping one another then create churches. Um, that, I, and it strikes me as well, Mick, that this is probably just part of the, the wisdom of God as to why churches should be led by teams of people rather than individual men or yeah. women. You know, the man or, or woman of God versus the team of elders and deacons together on mission. And, uh, you know, 1 Corinthians as well, everybody using their gifts for the common good, the, the symphony to build one another up, I think, is um, really, really helpful. Well, Mick, we're, we've, we're out of time, but I'd love to, what are some other kind of just final thoughts or things in your heart and mind that you'd really want to impress on people before we finish? I think... For me, it was a, a moment of unlocking when I realised that God made had had not made me to be prophetic um, or a visionary leader or all sorts of things that I looked at evangelistic. Uh, although I want to be, you know, to grow in all of those, but he has made me a pastor teacher. And what God has called me to be is to be the best pastor teacher that little Mick Taylor can be. And for people to seek God, to, to know how he's made them and then pursue that and not and appreciate people who are different and not be intimidated by them. Um, because that I know I was, uh, you know, I've, I've worked with lots of visionary leaders and initially I was like, oh, but I'm not that and I'm, I'm not an evangelist and I'm not a prophet, I'm just this. And God said to me, I felt one day, I made you a pastor teacher and it's good. And that's that's more than enough, you know, and I and I feel that that's 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 more than enough. And if you're a wise person, that's more than enough. Just be that as best you can. That doesn't mean you shouldn't pray and you shouldn't read your Bible, but pursue gaining even more wisdom. And if you're a Bible teacher, you know, press into that, maximize your gift. And if you're pro prophetic, whatever it takes to get you more in tune with God in that way, and how can you learn to be that better? Do that. That's your gift. Don't. There's a the strength finders thing talks about not trying to like spend all your effort raising up where you're weak. Um, put most of your effort in strengthening your strength, and I think that's a really helpful, wise piece of advice. Oh, Mick, very wise. You're clearly far wiser than you give yourself credit. Um, you can't just read the Bible. You can do a lot more than that. Not, not your average bear, as they'd say. Wow, there we go. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Mick Taylor about wisdom, prophecy and the word of God. See you next time. Mm -hmm.